listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. All right, I, Dr. Bob Kiltz, and excited to have Junior Leoso. Is that pronounced correctly, my friend? Yep, perfect. Let's see. You're in Hawaii. I'm in Florida, and we're like we're in the same room. Isn't this amazing? This is. I mean, you know, I, I hate to get too too nerdy or go down the rabbit hole, but I think that the fact that I say something to the camera, it shoots it to some satellite somewhere, and shoots it back, and somehow you get it like that. Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, we're all meeting on, on some media source, right? Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and then we're connecting in ways that we probably would, would have a difficult time doing unless you went to some big venue or read yeah. it in a magazine. And nowadays we can share with the world. Tell us a little bit about what you're sharing and why you're sharing it and what's magical about it. I love that. Um, so for the for the bulk of what I share is fitness and health related. Um, I've been an athlete most of my life. And one day when the athlete part of you stops, uh, you continue coaching and sharing. Uh, so I've been a, I currently own a, a gym facility. I teach kids martial arts. I have a seven year old myself that, uh, you know, depending on what season it is, I coach those sports, whether it be rugby or soccer, or, uh, jujitsu, whatever, whatever the case may be. But uh, my, my ultimate share is trying to help people understand how to better live their lives using their bodies, using movement as medicine. Uh, and, it, and I find myself always attracted to people like yourself who are, who are sharing new knowledge and going down that rabbit hole of finding out why is this way better? Why is this way more widely accepted? And so using health and fitness as a, as a gateway tool to get in the door, and then you get to know people and really figure out what what they're needing help with. And I'm sure you're very familiar with that. So sports, athleticism, motion is such a critical component to humanity. Uh, when did you learn this and how did you get into the, the being an athlete and how has it changed your life? Uh, you know, being an athlete as a kid, growing up in Hawaii, you play football. You know, that's what, that's what everybody does. Uh, so it was pretty normal to play sports. And I was lucky enough to to play for a good high school team and go on to play at some at a small college. And then I played in indoor football and with the semi-pro divisions for a long time. Um, so football is, was a big part of what we did. And because you're a sports specific athlete, training was much easier then, right? Because we weren't trying to figure out what the coolest way to increase your bench press was. We were trying to figure out how to jump higher, run faster, hit harder and right. get up and recover quicker. And so we had a very uh, sports specific way that we were training. And what that allowed me to do when I was done playing was have a game plan in mind to how to train other people. Whereas, you know, you get the regular uh, gym goer, the weekend warriors, guys are sitting at their desks Monday through Friday. Um, I took those techniques from football days. I took those exact training styles, those regimens, those rests, those drills, and I put it right into a gym. And lo and behold, those guys really got good results. People loved it. And uh, we grew a beautiful community. And I currently own a space in San Diego, California, although I live here on Maui. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. so if you're ever out there, we'll take care of you. We'll, we'll take I, you some I was some just out in, in Anaheim in Southern oh, no way. last week. And, you know, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump to yeah. for sure. And Hawaii isn't that far away. But, you know, I, I'm. it's interesting. So I used to play a lot of sports, although over the last 15 years, I become a little – I love to do it, but I, I've always said exercise, excessive exercise is not good for us, all right? And maybe you can tell a little bit about how I'm right and how I'm wrong and how maybe we can do it right and we can do it wrong and how you share how important motion and, and, and exercise can be. Yeah, sure. I mean, you hit a, you, you make a great point. You know, exercising for the sake of exercising can be daunting and draining. Uh, people feel like more is better, especially if you don't have a sports background. Uh, what we try to excuse the roosters out there. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
they're everywhere we've got a we've got batches of you know every day every awesome. day but um you know we we find that when people are doing the training for the sake of training, overtraining becomes easy. And I'm a firm believer that that comes from your mental state. If you do something you love, whether that's fishing or hunting or working out in the gym, you can do it optimally for very, very long periods of time for very many, many years. Whereas if you do something because you think you have to, it becomes very debilitating mentally. You go in with the wrong impression. You go in with the wrong mindset. And now training will start to lead to things with physical complications. And I truly believe we can avoid those things if we educate people early and often about the right ways to train, knowing about off seasons and in seasons, pre seasons and post seasons, the way our food affects our training, the way our sleep affects our training. And what we really start to find out, or at least in, in my point of view, my case with, with young fathers, is that so much of our success and failure in the gym, performance wise, comes from everything outside of the gym. It's all about the way we relate to stress and anxiety from home life, work life. And those who experience less stress and anxiety in home life and work life seem to just get the best results, not because they're physically more capable or more adept. And so I think there's a really interesting correlation between mental and physical stress and anxiety and physical performance. How does the physical performance and the, and the training help us in the stress of our day-to-day -day lives. Maybe that's the other component. I guess they, yeah. there's the yin and the yang of both of those things. There's no doubt about it. Many guys that I know, including myself, after the days of you know sports-specific training, the gym was a great outlet. It was a physical way for us to do something. You know, We're not out there hunting and gathering as much as we once were from evolutionary terms. Lifting weights was a way to get our bodies moving, to put ourselves under some kind of controlled stress. And I think it can be a Band-Aid at some points where for that hour and a half, two hours, whatever it may be, you're, you're in your zone, you're, you're physically present, uh, which is a lot of what we're trying to accomplish when we're meditating or when we're doing breath work. You know, your brain can't really be somewhere else if you got 450 pounds on your back. You have to be fully present and aware of your circumstances. And so I do think that training is another avenue for men and women to uh, escape what's wrong for the time being. And maybe put things in perspective. So I know, for one, I used to do a lot of um, running, biking. Uh, I didn't love swimming. Uh, in high school, I loved the uh, the uh, doing gymnastics, and I loved the weight room. Uh, there was a camaraderie also that I gained from it. And, and but then at one point, I was injured a lot, probably in my in my uh, yeah. late 40s to 50s. And 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 I was maybe excessively doing it. <laughs> and I, and I pretty much stopped. Right. Yeah. And probably less than a year ago, I started back in doing some conscious uh, work. Uh, I do a light bike. I do some rowing and I do some resistance work. Uh -huh. uh, and maybe you can talk a little bit about how how we can integrate uh, this, this workout regimen into our lives, but it doesn't take over our lives. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, that's a very good point you bring up. And I think going into 2023, there's going to be a few new fads, if you will. And I've been, I've been like uh, almost 100% since 2011 on coming up on what the new fads are going to be each year. Um, but one of the ones that I feel is going to be taking precedence is training duration. This is going to be a hot topic term next year going into the field when people start understanding and trainers start truly understanding the amount of work window that we really have where you're performing optimally. And I'll go out on a limb and say maybe 20, 25 minutes. OK, so if me and you are going to go out there and train our butts off, you've got 20, 25 minutes or so where you are ready to go. You're going to lift the heaviest weights. You're going to run the fastest. You can get the most reps done, et cetera, et cetera. After that window, 20, 25 minutes, depending on your athletic ability, that window starts to go down. And now I'll say my argument would be if we train on that downslope, we're actually adversely affecting our potential and our performance levels. And so what you're talking about now is training smarter is mm -hmm. going to be a very hot topic going into next year, I guarantee it. So uh, let's see, how do we, we uh, Junior, what's your general recommendation for training smarter? Uh, I would definitely get with somebody. I would always get with a pro first, just like if you're doing money management or or trying to take control of your physical and mental health. I'd get with a pro to set a plan. 
uh, I'd always have some sort of plan in mind, whether that is a uh, physical goal or a mental goal. Physical goal could be, hey, I want to be able to lift this much weight or I want to weigh this much on a scale. The mental goal would be I want to feel better about myself every day and go to sleep on time and not wake up in the middle of the night. So that's step one. Get a get a pro and get a goal. Number two, stick to the plan midterm before you hit the long term goals. So if my long term goal is to run a half marathon by next summer, we want to set the plan and work backwards and make sure we do something strategically. And last but not least would be to do all the other things that affect our training, our performance. If you were a professional swimmer, you'd have all kind of coaches teaching you about your your food and your nutrition and your sleep and your recovery and what supplements to use on and off the field and in and out of the pool, et cetera, et cetera. And with today's technology, there's no reason why we can't do the same thing for ourselves. So finding a really good coach and cheerleader is is critical. As you said, if you're looking for uh, mental health or physical health or or anything, a mechanic to fix your car, you're going to go to someone who is an expert, although many of us love to do it ourselves. Sure. Uh, but but like yourself, how long have you been in this in the health and wellness uh, oh, physical uh, training arena? I'm going on. I got my first personal training certification in 2000. So I've been in the gym industry and I've had more certifications than I care to list. Uh, so I'm going on 22 years here. I've been I've been up and down and in and out. Uh, and I'm currently still actively involved. So long, long time. And what I could tell you is from the time I started till now, there were, there are a few standards that are irreplaceable and many hot topics that come and go in and out throughout the, throughout the system. So what's what can you name a few standards that you think are really important? Yes. Having a goal in the weight room, lifting heavier weights not being afraid to push yourself physically to lift the weights without feeling like you're going to be a professional power lifter or bodybuilder. Number two, having a cardio plan that matches that weight training plan. For example, a lot of men go into the gym, lift weights, thinking that, hey, I want to get a bigger chest. I want to have nice big shoulders and arms. And then they do a cardio regimen that's not conducive to this. Their cardio regimen is getting them really good at losing muscle mass and being very good at jogging for two, three, four, five miles. So those two things don't match up. And then last but not least, they eat a nutrition plan that supports neither one of those things. And so what we end up having is we have people that are generally getting fitter, generally feeling better, but not really taking off in their physical prowess because the food, the sleep, the cardio and the weightlifting plan don't have the same goal. Now, let's look at a pro athlete, for example. If you're a professional basketball player, you're running to be a basketball player, lifting to be a basketball player, eating and sleeping to be a basketball player. And those results come out and there's no question about it. What we do in the gym is we teach people how to lift weights, straight sets, take your rest periods. Then we tell them to jog on a treadmill, ride the bike, et cetera, and then eat this generalized nutrition plan. And people wonder why, man, I've been kicking butt in the gym and I'm just not getting those abs or those chest muscles or whatever the thing may be. So I want to do this in a month and I want to look like you. Uh, how do you <laughs> the goals? And, and, and I guess it's setting realistic goals Although we always love to set something that is way above Absolutely. the bar, which again, that's that goal way over here. That's a goal way over there. You said it. What are the realistic steps to get there? And tell us a little bit about mindset and yeah. getting the mindset to get to where you want to go. Yeah, mindset is important. And I think that's a, a, a cool buzzword and I almost feel cheesy sometimes using it. But mindset is a real thing. Uh, this is the opportunity for you to really envision your goal happening. It's also for you to put a priority on what it is that you're doing. So let's say in this example, we're talking about lifting weights and getting stronger. Before I go to the gym, I can't be willy nilly as a thing that this is what I have to do, like brushing my teeth. I have to be in the mindset that I'm paying ultra attention. I'm going to be physically and mentally present before I do every rep, before I do every set. I'm conscious of what I'm doing if I'm pushing the bar. What muscles am I using? What muscles, what's my protagonist, antagonist muscles? Because if I don't have the mental prowess and I'm not mentally sharp, our body doesn't really act the same way, right? Different hormones are in our blood if we're fearful, if we're excited, if we're tired. So we want to make sure that we're physically present and that we're physically capable and mentally capable to do the job at hand. Mindset is something that most people do automatically on certain topics. They just don't know yet how to transfer that information into other topics. Some guys are very good when it comes to managing their their money and they set budgets 
and they're very dialed in and they know exactly what they have to do and they're very present, but then they're going to go on a jog and they're thinking about anything but the jog. And we so, could lose, we could lose so, like that. So would, would you agree that simply getting moving and getting into the, the gym will help getting, get people motivated? Absolutely. Uh, isn't it hard just to get started? And what's, what's the best way to get someone, hey, like you're sitting around, you're watching uh, Junior uh, do the work, you're watching the Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, what's the next step? Wow, I love this, but I can never do it. Sure. And that is the hurdle that everybody has to jump, which is I just need to join. I can't tell you over the last 20 years how many times I hear people say, okay, uh, I'm going to get started in two or three months. I'm going to get in better shape first. And I think to myself, well, that's what we're doing here. That's why you need to come here so that you skip all the messy steps and get right to the point. So for anybody that would be watching or listening to this, I would say use the gym as your education system. You don't have to go forever. You know, find a gym that's close to you. That is the most that's the biggest point in success rates when it comes to members joining a gym, finding one that's within three and a half miles from you. Doesn't matter what the coaches are doing just yet. You go there. You understand how to use timing sets reps, understand workout profiles and programs. And then you could do that for a month or two with the pros and then take it on the road for yourself. Train at home, get your equipment, go on walks and jogs. It's not something you have to do forever. Lo and behold, people typically fall in love with their community, meet new friends. This is a positive social aspect and a social outreach where everybody's in the same boat doing the same thing and you pretty much stay anyway. So, so just getting, showing up, is sort of the the first step to everything in life. And I know that I've always had a little bit of fear. I'm not going to look very good. You know, there's plenty of people that are stronger than me and much better than me. How is it we can sort of build the, to just show up no matter where you're at, frumpy, overweight, weak as can be? Uh, you know, really, this is something that we need to work on in the fitness community because 99% of the fitness community members that are paying for our businesses to be alive are people that are trying to get in better shape, that are not fitness models. Although when we turn on Instagram and Facebook, all we see is the model guy with the six pack abs and no shirt on. And so this is part of our doing. And it's something that we try to work on as well currently. Uh, when we do our marketing and advertising now, we use photos of actual members rather than the model of the stock images that we get. But taking the first step, the worst thing that could happen is you're going to be out 100 bucks or whatever your local gym membership is. The best thing that can happen is you make some good friends. You turn tide for the better. You start making healthy choices in your fitness life. And this is the, this is the, the catalyst forever. The, the showing up on a regular basis, what would you say is ideal for those that want to just work on general health and wellness, uh, in developing some strength, maybe some, some flexibility, and maybe uh, use a few pounds at the same time, rather than I want to be a, a supermodel? Yeah. What I tell everybody when they first start joining the gym is that for the first 90 days or so, we're building a habit. So we're building the habit and showing our body and our schedule that this is totally feasible. And what I ask for is two days a week. Anything over that is a bonus. So for the next 90 days, your job is to show up. I'm not weighing you in. I'm not taking measurements. We're not doing any strength tests, nothing. I want to check in on the, on the calendar every week and see that you've been here twice. That's your goal. What happens almost organically is people start to find their lane. People say, man, I really like training with this type of equipment, kettlebells or dumbbells, or man, I really love that body weight stuff. And they find it in themselves because this is something that is so foreign to them. They didn't know they were going to like it anyway. Right. Some people went their whole lives and didn't play team sports. They weren't forced to exercise. And that's OK. So this seems like, oh, my gosh, how could I ever do that? Once people start understanding that they're physically capable and it's OK to be tired, it's OK to put your hands on your knees and take a break for five seconds we start to empower these guys because they're the ones who are going to get their sister and their cousin and their neighbor back in the gym. And this is how we need to build the fitness community moving forward. In my, in my opinion, the, the, uh, the use of, of light, medium or heavy weights. Um, I, I do see what I think is maybe some people are, are pushing too heavy a weights and I'm wondering if if the if the drive is simply to help people strengthen, is, is there a, a best way to do that uh, rather than hey we all want to be like you know uh, I want to be in the next 
uh, uh, event where I'm going to, you know, have lift the <laughs> weights. Yeah, uh, there certainly is. And, and, a, and a very good educated coach should be able to manage that situation. Uh, gaining strength is not the simplest thing, but it's also not very difficult. Right. So there is a there's also a cap. So we can't just continuously ongoing incre increase our squat weight until, you know, infinity. So there is a cap. Having said that, every particular goal will sort of dictate where your weight limits are. Let's say, for example, Doc, if you came to me and said, hey, Junior, next year I'm going to run in two or three marathons. That's my goal. I'm trying to do a PR on my time. The last thing that I'm going to try to do is create massive quads on your body so that you can squat more weight. So I'm going to be very, uh, very particular about which exercises we use and how much weight we increase. Now, adversely, if you said, hey, my kid is going to go play college football at the University of Miami, then we're going to start working on some quad strength to make sure that he can push his way through a pile. And so goals truly dictate what it is, our, what it is going to be our plan. What percentage of people do you think are actively doing uh, some training on a regular basis? Oh, jeez, man, that's a great question. Um, I would love to say it's a lot, but I, I'm very fearful that it's not. And I'm, I'm 42 years old now. And I say that because in my own circle of influence and circle of friends, I see the decline. I see the guys that I used to play basketball with not showing up anymore. I see the guys not surfing as much, not hitting the gym ever. You know, that's like a, um, th th that was another lifetime. Um, so I have no idea. That's a great question. I'd actually like to know that. Well, well I'm uh, part of it is my sense is it's small in general, because I think we all sort of in our youth, we're, we're doing a lot. And then, you know, between family and work and other things and, and, and maybe our recreation in, uh, in dinner and drinks gets the best of us, <laughs> yeah. uh, which, which again, it's, it's, you know, um, I'm 66 and, and I know that good have gotten in the way um, and I'm working to keep myself inspired to do it every day, which is not easy to do. Yeah, but maybe you could talk a little bit about nutrition, uh, for one, and then and then we'll get back to a little bit. How do we get motivated? But maybe yeah. the nutrition has something to do with it. Big time, and you know, this has been a very big eye opener for me. Um, I've always been a big fan of eating as many natural foods as possible. Growing up here in Hawaii, we've got mango trees and banana trees, and you know, we we are very blessed with seasonal fruit forever. You know, we live right on the ocean where we have access to everything. Um, when I first got to college in California in San Diego was the first time I learned about things like uh, food being year round. Right. You could get the same piece of fruit all the time, the same piece of this all the time. And it really kind of changed my my vision on food. I went through this ebb and flow of food is delicious and you eat what's good. Uh, until my performance days where I thought, well, you eat as fuel only. We're counting proteins and carbs and fats and everything was in a bottle and made of powder. Uh, and then I got away from that thinking, well, that's no way to eat. That's not very enjoyable. And so over the last few years, uh, we started a saying down in San Diego at the gym and it was greens, roots and fruits and something that toots. And so this was our this was our baseline for a uh, for for a base nutrition plan. And getting people to eat real food and cutting out processed food and excess sugar was the goal. So we would tell people, hey, if you like a food, whether that's uh, steak and eggs or whatever your food is, you can eat as much as you want, as long as you feel good. But you're going to take out the soda. You're going to take out the alcohol. You're going to take out anything that's in a package. That's going to be our first deal. And that has been the way that we've started steering our nutrition guidance rather than saying a caloric intake goal with carbs, fats and proteins. So do you think we're, we're just inundated with ease of access to food, which for all of us in the world, it's, it's become um, too easy? Yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah. And furthermore, I feel like we've gotten this disguised idea that everything needs to be fresh and different all the time. Uh, we've got families and households that are stressing out about what to make for dinner because God forbid you have steak four nights in a row. You know, we've got to make it more colorful and brighter and steam it sometimes and bake it sometimes. And I find myself just thinking, you know, when did that happen? When did we feel all compelled to be 
pro providing a cooking show level plate every day. It's just created this uh, uh, unnecessary stress, if you will. The cornucopia of food, which has been really uh, impressed on us for, for hundreds of years in a sense, and maybe thousands if you look back at the last 10,000 years. So you grew up in Hawaii. Yeah. And, and so what do you think was the natural nutrition of, of those from Hawaii over the last thousand or plus years? Because let's see, the, the, real, the, the real colonization of, of the islands has only been for a few hundred years. Few hundred. Yeah, right? a few hundred. And we could, and I, you know, the Polynesian culture uh, as a lifestyle is probably, we could probably go as far back as 3,000, almost 4,000 years at this point. But the staple of our food would be seafood, no doubt about it. Taro, taro for us, um, and then fruits and vegetables that are growing on the ground. You know, if you think about it from a historical point of view, Polynesians, Hawaiians, Samoans, Tongans, Fiji, Tahitians, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't have four-legged animals unless we brought them there. You know, they mm -hmm. didn't they didn't make the trek. And so our people weren't eating red meat. Uh, they weren't eating chicken either, or turkey. Um, so, you know, maybe a few birds here and there. Mm -hmm. uh, but mostly it was fish, shellfish, and then our roots and our greens. And even today, you know, if you were to go back to to one of our aunties or grandmother's house, you know, that's what you're going to get. You're going to get the, a plate of taro and some green banana or like uh, our plantain style bananas, not the sweet bananas. Um, maybe a fish dish with coconut in a variety of ways, whether that's coconut milk, coconut cream, the coconut itself. And so those became and are still the staple of the Polynesian diet. Would you say this uh, that the frequency of meals was also less? Uh, it was it was that I always say it's that feast. Uh, yeah. We feasted once a day, and then you did the work of hunting and gathering, and yeah. uh, and and certainly whatever our shelter and our on our uh, dress was. I mean, that was really it. And that, and and that's true. And you know, there's no doubt about it uh, that there's a massive negative shift in our Polynesian culture once we get to Hawaii specifically. You know, when you're eating that type of food that you're working for and you have to harvest yourself and fish for yourself, yes, maybe the, the calories are robust and that is a lot of food and you feast. But here, the drive-throughs are too accessible. So we find ourselves eating the same amount of calories but doing way less to attain them. And they're full of the crud that we know that now that we're not supposed to have. Right. So all the bad oils and the fake meats and the fake blah, 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 blah. And so this is an issue that our people face currently, which is we are the feasting culture. And I think most cultures are at some point, whether you're Italian and it's pasta right. and red wine. Or, right. uh, you know, I feel like that's everybody. It's just unfortunate because by nature, Polynesians could get very big, very fast. My, my sense of it is, is because the um, they didn't have access to the the foods that the Westerners have really brought there. And Correct. I still bet that our caloric intake was less uh, and, or we certainly worked harder for it, Agreed. but, but, but um, you know, that, that's it. That's interesting. Uh, comments. What's your thoughts on, on where keto paleo keto carnivore, did you have any uh, thoughts on those in your current uh, training lifestyle or knowledge? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, and, and I'll say this lightly, but I've always been a fan of any diet that gets people to try it. Um, my Our biggest fear, or our biggest challenge is getting people off the processed sugar and the packaged foods. So whether that was a vegetarian diet that get the guy to stop drinking his soda and all day and eating McDonald's, or the keto diet, which made the guy stop drinking soda and eating that McDonald's, uh, the, the, the original result was that they were making better choices instantly. Now, having said that, I do believe that certain crowds do better with those diet plans, right? Uh, I personally know, uh, I have a good friend of mine who's a, another fitness coach who's been a, uh, a devout, a devout uh, fruititarian for I don't know how many years now. And when that guy takes his shirt off, he looks as good as any guy at 55 or whatever he is. Um, and the same thing for the keto guys and the same thing for the carnivore guys. And so this is where I'm landing now as kind of the middleman for some of my clients and some of our people in our, in our culture and society to say, hey, this is the new information that's out now. And based on this new information, this is what we're, we should all try. 
And so from, you know, when I messaged you and I talked to some other people, I always get hung up on the portion when we talk about the evolutionary standpoint of what we're eating, because from an evolutionary standpoint for our people for a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years, we just didn't have the same meal plan. We just didn't have access to the same stuff. Right. And so it becomes very intriguing to me to see how would we do on that? How would we survive and 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 thrive, actually, is the better word on this type of nutrition plan. And that's what I'm interested to learn about. Well, I wonder if we can go back five, 10 or 20,000 years ago. Let's see how many people were in Hawaii uh, 10, 20,000 years ago. You got me. Well, I mean, we don't really know these answers for yeah. sure. And, yeah. and, and, but it is interesting to see how certain peoples tend to get more diabetes and more, uh, and I'm going to say obesity. See, I don't think obesity is a disease. I think it's a sign of an eating habit, which is not natural to humanity. I like that. And, and for some people, especially those from, from a, a, a Polynesia, and, and if you look at the, the Indians of the Americas, they did not have access to the modern diet until recently. Right. But if you look at those from Europe uh, and maybe Eurasia, because that's where the real development of rice and wheat and farming took place. So they've had longer evolution of eating those foods. And so for, for whatever reason, now those peoples that are more recent in the conversion to more more refined carbohydrates. Uh, wheat, rice, corn, potatoes, they tend to gain the weight faster and have more adverse effects uh, due to that. So uh, that's a great point. So I'm just uh, wondering, you know, again, it's we're not we're not genetically different, but in some ways, maybe we're slightly more um, um I want to, the resistance isn't the right word. I don't like the word insulin resistance. We are more prone in a, in a, in a, a lower carbohydrate environment because Hawaii was eating more because the, 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 the plantains or the bananas were not sweet. Right. 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 And so you're eating less sugar. Uh, and so, but now you're eating more sugar yeah. and with people around the world that we're all susceptible to the sugars. Yeah. And how do you counsel, you counsel your, your, your clients on, on nutrition very much? Yeah. And I try to keep it as basic as I can. So that's not so overwhelming. Um, you know, a long time ago in my late twenties and early thirties, I was giving out the booklets and the food tracker and the scales and, and I just look back now and wish I could get those years back because I see how I probably just made it way worse for them at that time, you know. But, um, yeah, I currently do. And it really is interesting when you talk about looking further back because that is something I never really thought about and uh, how we could have developed these more prone realities to certain foods. Uh, that is that is a very great point because for a bulk of our time, Polynesians weren't eating sugar and weren't eating a lot of animal fat, ironically. You know, the heavy duty starch of fish here and there, and then whatever the banana leaves or whatever the vegetable of the day was. I, you know, it'd be interesting. I haven't really looked back at uh, the historical uh, notes of those who first went to Hawaii and other Polynesian islands, what the, what the, what the basic, what people look like, right? What the physicality was. Yeah. And there's a, there's still to this day, uh, as good as the scholars have gotten and, and searched there is still to this day an open debate about who was there first. Was it somebody from the Americas, from the Africas, from the Asias? And depending on who you ask and depending on what their thoughts about the sailing and, and sea voyaging of the time, they'll tell you both ways. It was easier to go east at one point. It was easier to go west at one point. And so we're, we're all waiting for the final answer, too. Well, it, that's part of the good, the, the greatness of the conversation. None of us really <laughs> know the right answer because what did we eat? 10, 20, 50,000 years ago, it's really just the story we're telling uh, overall. So so tell us a little bit about, you mentioned about uh, not weighing, I mean, do you weigh people? Do you say, oh man, your goals aren't met? Or, or how do, what do we really need to do in order to measure anything? 
You know, I've, I think the older I get, the more I realize how much of a mental game this truly is. And I think that the happiness factor and what we're truly looking for when we go to the gym to lose weight, what we're truly looking for is to feel better. We're trying to be motivated about ourselves again. We're trying to feel good under our own skin. And so my verbiage and my goal setting has shifted from very physical and very goal oriented, more about asking them on a daily or weekly basis. Hey, how are you feeling? Hey, did you feel good at that workout? How is things going? And when letting them talk to you and say, man, I feel great. And I didn't get on the scale and I never asked them to, but they'll say, man, I feel great. This has been the best thing that I've done. I love these workouts and hey, I'm going to go surfing later today. And to me, I think that's the win. Have you noticed that even people that are of larger size, despite the fact they haven't lost much weight, actually mentally and physically improve? There's no doubt about it. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And the answer is yes. Um, there's, again, so much to unpack there because the fear for them to go in was probably body body related. Uh, the fear of not adding up, the fear of not being able to keep up. And all of a sudden you get these guys that are muscling through the workouts and they look over and they see that the fit guy is also muscling through that workout as well. And so we just start to give people their life back one day at a time because they feel normalized again, because they're doing the things that the other guys are doing. And there's something to be said about that cultural village aspiration. When you're part of the group again, you just feel lighter. You feel less stressed because you're a part of the team. And this is something that a lot of people are missing, in my personal opinion. I think, you know, during the, the pandemic, it, it became very evident that people need other people. We need to be around those guys to say, hey, man, you're doing the right thing. So just showing up once again and having a good having an experience Yes. And ultimately, we all judge it, right? Good or bad, easy, yes. hard, right or wrong. But but the, the, the fact that you're there participating in an experience is often all we really need. Man, that is that could be the ultimate answer. And it's hard to sell that because people want results before they get in. But that is it. Whether you're doing martial arts or playing pickup basketball or you're in the softball league, you're not going to hit the home run. You're going to hang out with the guys. You're going to be with your friends. The byproduct is you got to run around and get sweaty a little bit, just like the gym. I'm not going per se to hit my PR today. I'm going because I'm going to meet my buddies there and we're going to work out together. We're going to feel good. The byproduct is I got sweaty and I got in better shape. But the reason my, my key to open that door was I'm going to go hang out with my friends. I'm with part of that community again. And, and um, at the same time, people show up with their troubles. Totally. And, and, and how does physical work help with our troubles? And, and, and what's your thoughts on that? You know, I wish I knew the actual scientific reasons why this works. Uh, and I don't, but I know for a fact that it does. When we're physically ex exerting ourselves, our bodies are releasing that sense of stress in the mental realm through physical movement. There is no doubt about it that if you're having a tough day physically or mentally at work and you go to the gym and you're hitting that heavy bag or you lift with your buddies or you're shooting hoops, when you're done, you're smiling. Whether that's for five seconds or five hours, you're smiling, you're in it. You're present here again that everything is okay. And I think it allows our body a break from com combating ourselves constantly, not being able to turn off that machine and doing something that is physically engaging makes you be present. And I think that's a big takeaway here is that it's not just sitting at a quiet lake and having time to yourself, although that could be an answer too. I've always found that it's more effective when you have to physically be present, when you're lifting the weights, when you're throwing the ball, when you're running with your buddies, when you have to be physically here, I've, I've seen that people get better results this way. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, faith, spirituality, uh, whether it's religious or non-religious, how do you encompass that with your yourself and maybe your clients? Sure. I, I think that this is a very powerful step for a lot of people. This is whether you call it God or energy or the universe, whatever your term and your connection is, I think it's necessary to have one. I think that you you get a lot by understanding that we're not the center of the universe. I think that we get a lot the more we realize that I'm just like my neighbor and I'm going through the same troubles and trials and tribulations as my friends. I think there's something very empowering. Uh, it almost makes it like, OK, 
A, we're in this together. B, I'm not some special case where the world's going to come crumbling down on me. Everybody's going to make it. And lastly, I think it allows us to have a, a sense of purpose. And again, whether you call that mother nature or God or whatever the religion may be, uh, I feel that it's necessary for you to have that connection for yourself, that those downtimes allow you to, whether speaking to your head or praying, um, those are very powerful moments. And showing up for training is not something that's a short term. It's a long-term life commitment that ultimately I believe that our health and wellness is, is intertwined with that. And again, I tell people don't exercise, but get some motion to motivate, whether it's in the gym, out on the track at moving, uh, that that's so important. But if it's, if it's encompassing your life, I'm imagining it's because you want to be like a, a marathon uh, sure. gold medalist or something, but Tell us a little bit about how maybe just making it part of your natural lifetime routine yeah. can help help people. There's there's a lot to be said about people who have crossed the bridge of exercise being a chore or a task to do and now are living it as something that they get to do. And this is a term that I've been using and sharing with some of my clients for a long time, which is I don't have to exercise. I get to exercise. I don't have to lift those weights. I get to lift those weights. And there's a mind shift that happens when you understand that your life is so beautiful that you can work and eat and live and have friends and a family. And your downtime, you get to physically improve your body. We're not running from lions or tigers or bears anymore. Right. We are we are on it. I got to go because I got to go watch the news. But <laughs> yeah. my, my, my local show. Yeah. And, so, and so maybe we've misplaced our priorities in life. No. Amen. Yes, okay. we have. And so uh, maybe 500,000 years ago, uh, let's see, if you weren't hunting, fishing, uh, or or gathering, you were not eating. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. You and had so a if someone said, I'm going to go like watch the birds for the next week, <laughs> you probably wouldn't. I mean. Yeah. And you'd have to be kind of a, you'd have to be kind of off at that time because let's say all your five buddies, then you're the teenage kids that had to go get the berries. If the other four guys are going, it would be the funnest thing you could do today. And and so maybe that's part of what we're and, and I guess maybe we focus too much on the food as a party, yeah, rather than the the hunting gathering and the process, which maybe in some way our our uh, uh, physical training. Uh, brings together because it's 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 like going to the temple or the or the the church or the place to go to get some spiritual enlightenment and at the same time doing the work that is critical for life yeah and i think we see the proof of that even today when men and women have downtime and men specifically i'll speak to they want to go fishing and they're not going fishing to catch the fish they're going fishing to be with their son or their buddy or their brother. They're going to sit in that boat and they don't give two snots if they catch anything because they're not there for that. They're there for the experience. They're there for the hunt. They're there to run through the trees and go do the thing. And the food is just a byproduct. And I totally agree with you that somewhere along the way when it became unnecessary to go do the playful stuff to get the food, we kind of lost who we were. We were not sitting at the desk and we weren't indoors avoiding the sunlight. We could go down that rabbit hole for days, but I do feel like we lost a part of what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And then we manufacture it through other stimulants. And one way that we could just get back to that is doing exactly what you said. We can get back with our teams. We could start going on little forages. We could have our fishing trips. We could do little hunts. We could just be in the community and we could duplicate that same energy and that same dopamine effect by going to the gym. By going with our friends, doing that thing as a group, having a common goal in mind that we're all striving for this month, this quarter, this year. How do you mix it up in in your uh, uh, training sessions uh, with your your clients and help them sort of uh, mix up the goals, maybe or the, yeah. the motion? Yeah, and that's been a struggle for me for a long time because. 
sometimes you catch yourself doing something for fun in the gym just for the sake of for fun. And in my head, I know that this has nothing to do with their fitness goal and I'm not making any progress today. But you feel the sense of their boredom. And this is where the magic of being a good coach comes into play because you have to keep your player or your client motivated. You have to have them stay on the plan to see the end goal. And I, and I won't lie to you, Doc. As of late, I haven't changed it up a lot. We stick to a plan because the success and the fun becomes in the results. Yeah. When I was younger, I was doing, okay, balance on the ball and spin the thing on one hand and tap you. You know, we were doing whatever would make the guy stay in the gym. But nowadays, we just stick to the plan and kind of let them know, hey, you're on the right track. This is what it is. And when you see the end result, you're going to be happy. Tell us a little bit about uh, the, 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 the hard part about being a trainer and running a business as, as a trainer. Right? Oh, man. Uh, the hard part about being a trainer is finding your niche. Uh, I've been in the game long enough to where I now I know that about myself. But for every young person out there starting this career, it's really finding out who it is you're helping. Because if you're a brand new trainer and you say, oh, I can train everybody. That's just not the case. Training a 65-year-old man with a set of goals is much different than training a 16-year-old kid with a set of goals. And then everybody in between, men, women, uh, except not married, married, so, so on and so forth. And so first thing is finding a niche. Is it sports specific? Are you helping people just lose weight? Are you a cardio guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when it comes to running a business, gosh, man, this has been... <laughs> This is uh, you're learning all the time. And I, I, what I've really learned the most is that more so than ever, you rely on your team. Your business is your people. And no matter how much I thought, oh, I got this thing figured out and I know exactly what to do. I've read all the books. I've listened to all the videos and, uh, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing. The business is your staff. That is the business. Those are the people that are interacting with your clientele every day. Those are the people that make sure the place is open and closed. And so if I could go back 20 years ago to myself, I would all, I would empower myself to empower my staff more sooner rather than later. Cool. That, that, these are, we're, these are such important things for us to, to share. So all of us can be inspired to learn, but ultimately we got to learn it on our own in some ways. Don't you think? Is it oh, sort of like, gosh. you know, the, the school of hard knocks is the business of doing. Yeah. And there's a, there's a reason why everything is 2020 in hindsight. And as you get older, you catch yourself saying the same things. If I knew then what I know now, and I tell the younger kids, Hey, listen, I did that. And they don't listen to you. It's just the, I think it's the natural progression of life. You have to cut your teeth your own way. And you know, if it was easy, We'd all just be telling each other the answers and everybody would listen, but it doesn't work like that. So healthcare is getting very expensive. And I don't know if what you're seeing, but, but um, tell us a little bit about how and why what you do to help people is as good or better than their doctor. Yeah. I've always felt that we played a massive role and I'll tell you a little backstory. In my early years of training, I took it very seriously uh, personal training was something that most people did on the side. You know, people were going to college and you do a personal training. It was like the equivalent to driving an Uber today. Oh, I just do this on the side. I wasn't that way. I felt very strongly that what we did had a purpose. I felt very strongly that what we did could keep people away from the hospital and the medications. Um, and so I was very headstrong about that. And I am today still. I really feel that the mental acuity and the mental release that you get from physically taking control of your body is vastly outweighs how strong I get, how fast I get, uh, how high I can jump or how far I can throw. And the reason this becomes so prevalent is we do get people to lose five or 10 pounds and we do get older clientele to do one or two more pushups. But what is drastically changed is the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they interact with their community and their people. And you can see it all over their face. And I think to myself, well, shit, that's what we did. We helped, we helped unlock that thing. And it was just trapped behind two or three push-ups. And once we got those out of the way, it was all open. And so I do feel strongly that fitness is the precursor. We, we can prehab. We can become physically strong, yes. But mentally and emotionally, spiritually, we keep people in a positive light where I think disease and, and certain things have a hard time breaking through when you're just so positive and you're so enlightened by yourself. Awesome. Awesome. So you've been in this, in this uh, business for a while. How has COVID and social media 
uh, affected your business? COVID, I mean, almost shut us down, right? We were in California. Um, so the rules were very strong there. You know, people weren't going into public places for a long time. Um, and so it hit our businesses tough. And we're still we're still working through the backlash of that. Um, I think social media saved us in a lot of ways. It gave us a way to communicate with our people. Having said that, I've had this discussion with some other coaches in the industry. Uh, social media also kind of hindered our industry in the sense that everybody became a master overnight. Everybody watched one documentary or, or listened to one other guy on, the, on their page and regurgitated all that information. The problem is every time it was like the telephone game, every time the next person regurgitated it, it became a little more watered down and a little less true. And so I think that any exposure is good exposure if it gets people talking. Um, I think that we can leverage social media in a way that is so powerful we can save and help so many people like never before, obviously. Um, so I'm not going to down talk on social media. I do think that it's a powerful tool if we use it correctly. So for for you and and you have two uh, physical gyms, and and uh, how are you? It, you're doing social media and inspiring people. Um, do you have a website that you're also doing things and some online coaching? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, so my entrepreneur spirit, spirit has has spread out through the years, all in the fitness industry. Um, so my gym in San Diego is Pacific Beach Training. You can check that out at PacificBeachTraining.com. For people that are looking to do uh, sports-specific strength training, like the one that you were watching earlier, uh, is at LandmineUniversity.com. So that's LandmineUniversity.com. Uh, that is probably the best outlet for strength training right now. We were just blessed to be featured in Men's Health Magazine this month, which is really awesome. cool as well. Awesome. Um, and last but not least, we have developed a incubator business of sorts for up and coming fitness brands and products. So during the COVID times, one of the positive, positive things that came out is that the innovators were starting to come out of the woodworks, right? You're finding new ways to create equipment for at home use or at the park or being a, a hybrid between the gym and home. And so our business, what we do is we take these ideas and turn them into reality. We find funding, we build the businesses, we do their websites and sales funnels and ultimately help them find an, an exit strategy. Uh, and that company is Optio. So if anybody's got a, a cool invention idea out there, you could check us out at Optio, O-P-T-Y-O. Awesome. So so if there are there sort of five things or one thing we should all have in our at-home gym that, that <laughs> is important, along with the inspiration of someone like yourself to uh, uh, really uh, in, in, in instill that inspiration to do it whether it's every day or twice a week or on a regular basis? I would say the biggest thing that you need is space. You just need enough space for you to lay down and do like a makeshift snow angel. If you've got that much space, sky's the limit. If you're starting to look to increase or incorporate equipment, uh, there's tons of stuff out there. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't recommend a kettlebell just because of the opportunity for it to be used in so many different ways. And it's slightly heavy. Um, but ultimately, space is your best friend. I think over building power immediately, people would gain so much from themselves that they just started learning to move, touching your toes on both sides, being able to sit cross-legged, sit on your knees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I noticed you were talking uh, a little, I saw something about on your, on one of your uh, Instagrams about, about um, workout and then breath work. Yes. Talk a little um, bit about breath work and how important that is. I think breathwork has become about two or three years ago, maybe 2019, it, that was the hot topic then. Uh, breathwork would have been something that we would have never thought about. Uh, but the reality for athletes specifically on the way we breathe had a direct correlation on the way we perform. So then my eyes were open. Uh, when it comes to breathwork, I think the best thing to do is to find a good coach. Um, I think that breathwork has a lot of key components for everybody, whether you're sitting at a desk you're warming yourself up to compete or you're cooling yourself down after competition. Uh, there are so many uh, major benefits of just understanding, again, having that mental connection of what you're doing with a purpose. Uh, the coach that I that I use is Coach Brian Mirabella, uh, who also happens to be the fruitarian guy that I mentioned earlier. Um, but yeah, breath work is a foundational piece that isn't too hard to figure out that uh, we do all day, every day. So you might as well do something with a little bit of purpose. 
Anything else you want to bring to the table that we haven't shared to the community that's interested in health and wellness, whether it's the mind, the mouth, or motion of life? Oh, I like that. You know, find the community, I think, is the most important thing. Whether that's a local gym or a walking partner, find somebody to do it with you. Uh, your success, your chances of success are so much greater. And just know that this isn't a today thing. This is a forever thing. This isn't something we're going to do for the week. We're doing this forever. And so as long as you go into it with that mindset, I think you're going to have a good chance of succeeding. So you have to work it into your daily habits in life. And 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 uh, your physical work is probably more important than the food we eat in the sense of you got to do the physical work, yeah. which the food will then fuel. But if you're you're eating and not doing the physical work, you're you're missing out the most important component. That could be very true. And I've gone both ways. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this topic myself, whether the food is more important or the movement. Uh, and I'm starting to get to the point where I think that if I had to choose one, if I had to be perfect at something and then sub-perfect at the other, I would choose to be perfect at my food and sub-perfect at my performance and just kind of keep it up that way. Yeah, I, I think that um, our food has been um, uh, highly misinformed. We're all misinformed on food. Uh, the most important thing is focus on fat, a little bit of protein, and far less carbohydrates. And I also talk about eating one time a day. Fuel the Ferrari yeah. once a day. Because the bowel's job is to take the food and take it into the bloodstream and send it to the storage locations all around your body so you can go days, if not weeks, without food. Wow, but yeah. We've been, we've been mis- uh, uh, representing the best way for this body to, to move. And that brings me to my next question for you is fasting. Any thoughts on, on missing meal, missing meals and whether that, you know, it's, Oh, you can't miss a meal or maybe you, <laughs> you want to miss a few meals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember in 2003, maybe I did with a bunch of the traders at the time at the gym, uh, we all did the master cleanse. We all walked around with our gallon a day with the with the 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 hunt the syrup and the cayenne pepper, and we did that for about ten days. Oh, and I, I remember all the white stuff on our tongue and blah 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 blah. Um, you know, at, at a certain point in my life, missing a meal was impossible. You know, if you missed a meal, you were slacking on your goals. We were eating six times a day on the clock, and uh, I, I'm to the point now where I start to see the value on slowing down a couple meals. Um, and, you know, I have a question for you, Doc. When it comes to the one meal per day, do you have a preference if that's a dinner meal or a lunch meal? What what do you see that works best for you? Well, my sense is we're all Ferraris and we're all the same. OK, psychologically, emotionally, we might be different, but fit, but but biochemically, we're the same. Our body works on fat. And so the very best time to digest food is when your bowels and your body is resting. So I would say dinner is the very best meal and it, and going to rest after your meal is the very best. Okay. Now you allow the blood flow to go to the bowels. The digestion process is going on 24, seven, 365. Now it's got the very best blood flow so it can extract all the minerals, vitamins, proteins, uh, fatty acids, uh, amino acids, and fatty acids. And then for most of us, the sugars, because the sugars we're consuming uh, yeah. and we have zero requirement. And so uh, in my opinion, dinner time is the very, very, very best time. Okay. And when we do that, you'll begin to feel better. The, uh, an empty gut is a full life. Uh, I've got some of my like friends- that on the car on, on my, my 5 a.m. mighty tribe, which shares this idea. Again, it's 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 there's so much conflicting advice, right? Is it better to be a vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, pescatarian, or carnivorian, right? And we all know people at all stages that look great, right? Uh, and ultimately the liver's job is to convert amino acids and simple sugars to fat. That's the liver's job. Right. That's the number one job of the liver. Right. And insulin's job in the liver is to convert those things to fat because 
If you cannot make fat, you cannot supply your brain, your muscle, or any cell of your body with the energy it's required. Right. And, and so there are plenty of, 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 um, of athletes, uh, gladiators that are going on, on fasting and, yeah. and full on carnivore. Uh, that that I've seen do amazing things, but it's such an opposite approach that we've all learned for so many years. Yeah. You got to fuel the, the the metabolism, right? Yeah. More frequent food, but the the gut has been damaged uh, because of excessive food, and in my opinion, the wrong food, uh, which is kind of radical and interesting. But food and fitness and faith are are like they're all religions. Right. My religion, yeah. my politics, whatever it is, you know, we're we're sharing ideas. And, you know, again, you feel great. You look great. <laughs> you're fine. Right. And again, your feeling and your fitness and your looks are determined by only one person. Correct. Yourself. Right. Yourself, yeah. That's it. You know, we're, the, the challenge is, is to not take it all so personally. Oh, I've got to look like that or that or that. Amen. Doc, so, what about the? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what about the fruit? Where's the fruit play in the role of the carnivore diet now? Well, well, fruit is never required in a human diet. Okay. And all fruit breaks down to sugar. All of it. Sugar is never required in a human diet. And remember, the fruits we're eating today are not the fruits of yesterday. True, they're, they're manipulated both in their genetics and also the way they were crossbred. And again, we're eating something that is never, never required. Okay. And, and fruit, sugar, bacteria, and yeast makes alcohol in your gut. And so again, it's maybe all the diseases we're suffering from are secondary to fruit, fiber, seeds, nuts, and vegetables. Wow of any significance or frequency. I just tell people to eat fatty meat once a day, some eggs and butter and cream. But if you're going to eat French fries or, or some vegetable, minimize its frequency or amount because they're neither required. Uh, and fiber basically is fermenting in our colon. And I believe all these things cause cancer. And so I no seen, oatmeal. What's that? So no oatmeal. <laughs> oatmeal, oatmeal breaks down to sugar, right? Yeah. Again, yeah. we are gladiators, right? And a gladiator functions uh, on fat, all of us, by the way. And if you really look at lions, what are the, what are the animals that we, we view as the, the, the strength, the symbols of strength? Lions and tigers and wolves. Yeah. Not pigs, cows, and sheep, although we honor them. So these ideas are radical to what our belief systems have been because Fair. we all love oatmeal, fruits and vegetables and cereals. We love them. Yeah. But when my best friend Dave Kilmer died of cancer at 52 and my sister died of diabetes at 52, I knew there was something that we're sharing is wrong, right? Again, we're not meant to be skinny. We're meant to get fat easy to survive the famine. That's the simple story. Interesting. Okay. How about, uh, is there any difference for kids? I'm raising a seven-year-old son. No, is there no. any differences at all? No, I always say once the baby is done with the breast, they should go to the bone. Okay. Uh, we, we are carnivores from the day we're, in, we're, the day we're created in utero. And, and moms are eating fiber, fruits, and cereals, and nuts, and sugars, which are damaging the baby in utero. And that's the problem. And no one's eating fat. Interesting. Yeah. No one's eating fat. And so again, these ideas are pretty radical. Yeah. And, but, but I've been doing it now for almost 12 years. Before that, I was keto. Before that, I was paleo. And before that, I was Atkins. So if you look at my, my real journey, 20 years, Atkins, paleo, keto, yeah. carnivore. One meal a day in general. But I sometimes have some salami and cheese as a snack or bacon and eggs. But 99.9%, I'm going to be the carnivore because, listen, at 66, I've never felt better. My bowel bleeding, arthritis, psoriasis, kidney stones. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I used to lift weights. I've never built the bulk in my years of weightlifting until I've been carnivore. 
Now, wow. I'm just telling me personally, I know that the vegans have been, everyone's going to build, but, but it, I did not do very, I don't do very much work in the gym. I do, I do three to four days a week in general. I do light bike. I do some rowing, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'd say the lifting is, is resistance work is really important, but I agree with you. It's a combination of what you put in the mouth and the motion of the body, but the mindset, the mindset, as you said, it, it, and that's why we need a coach, a cheerleader, and yeah. we need to regularly, you know, you, you eat a meal every day. Well, but you need to do the other work. And that's why, see, I think religion and, and spirituality and faith are critical for humanity. It's so important in positive light. Now, get them whatever we yeah. label it. We can label it lots of different things. I agree. Right? I agree wholeheartedly. And there's no shortage of that in our in our culture here. You know, one thing that the Polynesians did is they accepted every uh, religion possible. So they were everywhere here. And we grew up with all of them. And I do see the importance in how it brings a community together and how it how it really does bond the village, if you will. And we need bonding. And that's why I think the, the group, the, 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 the workout is actually the work in. Right. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're working out to make something look good on the outside, but it's actually we're really working on the inside that you are. You got an inside job there, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Junior, how can people find you? Uh, you can get me on Instagram, junior.leoso. That's the easiest way. I'm, that's the most active way of kind of, you know, email is even taking a backseat to those things nowadays. It's so much easier to use the Instagram. It, it is. It is. The lion lives in junior. Leoso and check him out on Instagram, my friend. God bless you. I look Thank forward so to much, communicating. Doc. And yes. one way or another, we're going to get together and do this again. Yes, I'll be out your way. I'll be out your way twice next year. So I'll come check you out. Okay, I look forward to it. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much, Doc. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkilts.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.